Welcome to the Band of Brothers Cycling Podcast. In this series, we talk about the biggest races in cycling and how we prepare for them and give you some insight into the personalities within the team. Hi everyone and welcome to the fourth Giro-themed edition of the Band of Brothers podcast. My name's Steph and I've just recently returned from what I could tell you were a crazy few weeks at the race in Italy. And today my colleague Andreas Hartmann and I are going to dissect the team's Giro performance with head sports director Rolf Aldag. The past three weeks have no doubt been an incredible time for the team, with Jai Hindley of course winning the 2022 Giro d'Italia, Emil Buchmann finishing 7th overall, Lennart Kemner and Jai both taking a stage win each, Lennart spending a few days in blue, and overall a very strong team performance. Not to mention that day to Torino, which I don't think any of us are going to be able to forget in a hurry. Uh, so Rolf, you're fresh back from the Tour of Norway actually, so thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And Andal, as always, thanks for being here as well. Hello again, Steph, and hello. Nice to have you on our podcast, Rolf. Okay, so Rolf, you weren't actually on side at the Giro this year. So tell us, how did you actually keep up with the race? And how did you help the team when you were abroad? Uh, well, the first part of the Giro, I had the luxury to get really first-hand pictures because I was doing some uh, commentary and analysis for Eurosport. So then, you know, you can watch the, the race really intensively, but you still have your phone. So uh, to be fair, like I still had the chance that uh, that I could uh, update Gasparotto sometimes when he had no pictures and uh, in the car. So we were still a little bit back and forth, which is, you know, pretty luxury situation because if you have headphones on you can really see on the monitor then uh, you just uh, have a very intense uh, you know um, watch on the race of course so I think that was the beginning and then yeah I would just follow um, from wherever I've been and to be fair finally at Tour of Norway I was uh, watching the Giro uh, while I was at the race car at Tour of Norway and then of course it gets a little bit complicated when you start to comment into your race radio to the guys in Norway what just happens in the Giro um uh, Shane Archbold is you know he's a long-standing guy and he recognized and so literally I don't know how he figured that out I think three minutes after the stage finish of stage 20 he asked me in the race radio like so how so Rolf how are things going in the Giro um so really three minutes afterwards and then I said well actually you know this is the situation uh Jai dropped the carapace by 128 he said you could recognize it on your voice when you're talking to us that you were really not uh, <laughs> uh, not uh, you know um, completely like focusing on Norway, which was kind of good because Norway was like middle center of the race while uh, you know the Giro finished it much earlier, so it was uh, a way to combine. And then I had like my yeah midnight calls with uh, with Gaspar. Um, literally on especially in the last week on the daily base that uh, we were changing exchanging ideas and you know just discussing how everything goes but to be fair you know by saying that of course the guys down in Italy did the job and uh, they they really deserve all the credits for for pulling that off I think you know from remote yeah you're interested you um, you know you want to you want to help wherever you can but if you if you wouldn't have capable people on ground there's just no way that uh, that this would have been the outcome so the team um, of riders really functioned well and uh, I think the staff and, and everybody around they also functioned really really well and 
you know, we can back them, we can give them confidence, but ultimately, you know, we, we also have to have to say like the credit really for the success goes to these people on ground. Um, beside the fact then, of course, that everybody else around was involved uh, in the pre-planning, you know, I mean, first meeting around that year and the plan of writing GC and podium was done really like in October last year. And from then on, you know, all coaches have been involved, all DSs have been involved. So, you know, it's a long process, a long way. You just mentioned um, how you've discussed uh, the Giro in October already. There was there was the idea of becoming more of a GC team. And at some point, the decision was made to focus on the Giro in 22, as you just mentioned. Can you let us know how that process started and how decisions have been made? Well, the process, of course, starts with, you know, it comes from the head and, uh, you know, our leader is, is, is Ralf and, uh, you know, he has his visions. Oh, it seems like his whole life, you know, he lives from his visions and, and you know, pushes really, really hard to make that happen. So, um, yeah, it was last year's discussion to say, well, you know, we, we try to um, develop a new identity uh, as a GC team. You know, it's, it was a really great time with being this one day um, special, having this one day specialist with Peter Sagan and, and Boogie and, and those guys. But now it's time to move on. So and then then, uh, you know, the, the framework was given by Ralph to say this is what we want to do over time this is our you know mid-term long-term strategy and from that the sporting management then has to sit down and has to think like how are we gonna gonna do this and how are we really you know make this happen and uh, and that's uh, a different story then to involve all the people to get opinions and and for me it was relatively quickly clear to say let's bundle all our resources in the Giro um, because the tour, you know, the tour is a big, big spotlight. So the tour is like everybody focuses on, on. And right now the tour has, you know, a dominator with Pogacar. So, um, so therefore it was kind of clear to say, well, let's go for the earlier uh, Grand Tour because it also carries us. If that goes right, it carries us, but it doesn't have the whole public pressure um, like the tour has. And, and that was the main idea then. That, uh, that we'd say, okay, then, you know, let's, uh, let's not compromise on GC. Let's not try to aim for stage wins in, uh, in sprint stages. Let's fully, fully focus and see that as a test event, um, you know, if we're capable of being a GC team, because it needs a lot of passion. It needs a lot of um, kind of like, you know, calmness um, as every day in a, as a GC team, every day we don't crash, we don't lose time. And we are not really visible on television is a good day because you save energy and you don't lose time and you're still still um, you know injury free and and healthy and uh, that needs it's a different approach than trying to chase every stage on 21 days and uh, so it needs uh, needs some change in mindset and I think obviously with that result the team did do really good on that. So tell us in addition to this change in mindset, what other more concrete changes did the team make to this year to go more in the direction of becoming a GC team? Uh, it's hard to tell for me because I wasn't part of the team last year. So I don't know what, you know how it has been last year. So I, I'm only part of 2022. Uh, but, you know, we tried to act as a GC team. And that means like uh, already, you know, with our technical partner specialized to do uh, wind tunnel testing with Jai. 
um, you know, to 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 know that it's not just about tomorrow. To know it's about you know like uh, uh, mid and long term uh, where we need to improve. So I think you know these kind of like longer terms planning than shotgun approaches um, make a big difference. And uh, I would say we're not done. We're not done. You know, like we can't lean back now and say like, yeah, we won a grand tour in the first year out of you know maybe a three year project. So all achieved, all done. Lean back and celebrate. Because, of course, you know, there's like defending then, um, aiming, you know, there's still the Tour de France out there, still the Volta out there. Aiming big also means like you have to continue and have to stay sharp. Um, the difference uh, for me is like it's, it's really hard to say. What I can say is like the willingness for changes uh, at Tim Borahan's Grohe from 2021 to 2022 was extremely high. So, you know, coming in there, I never felt like resistance. Say, like, yeah, but last year we did it this way. Yeah, but you know, like two years we have done that way and it was also successful. I think everybody was very open-minded. Everybody was very, you know, uh, pumped up about that that idea, that plan. And uh, and so, you know, here we are. Do you think the public um, and the media and maybe also some other teams underestimated us? 100% big time. And I think that was also where we benefited, uh, where we benefited, where we benefited from, benefited, that's a nice word, uh, where we benefit from um, at the end on the Turin stage. So that was uh, probably the most, you know, uh, um, not controversial, but most discussed stage in the, in the first part there uh, with Gaspar to say, well, what do we really do? We know how technical it is. We know how difficult it is. But it might be really underestimated from a lot of people who did not do the recon. So Vilko was there on the bike. Gaspar did the recon on the car. So, uh, you know, they knew how technical it is. But then um, we discussed it and we, we, we kind of like had the impression to say, look, um, what do we do? We can now go for controlling the race, you know, show presence, show strength. And, uh, and you know, try it from the front. But you really, really invest a lot and you weaken yourself. Or we can try to surprise people because realistically in the media, nobody has seen us as a favorite. Fans would not point us, um, you know, as a favorite. And and there was a big benefit. Um, also, other teams never really, really see, saw us as a big threat for GC. So that was, I think, that the whole point is like, let's try to surprise them. You know, let's try to really like, don't give them a, a big, time frame to think about what is Bora doing now let's try to surprise them you know don't change the style of racing in the beginning try to send guys into the breakaway probably everybody you know will be draw conclusions say ah yeah that's what they have done so far you know always put guys in the breakaway and and and, and then try to hang on in the back and then turning that around into a GC day I think that did surprise people um, by saying that of course uh, you know um People are also not stupid, so it happens once. Uh, it will not happen too many times then again. So, you know, we need to we need to live out of the situation and then uh, we have to come up with new ideas um, because people will also adapt to, you know, to the fact that uh, we are good and we are there and we are one of the best teams in the world for GC. So from what you're saying, there sounds like there's an insane amount of preparation and studying the details of the route beforehand. Uh, like you said, Wilco did also a recon of the stage with Gaspar. Can you tell us how early does this kind of planning begin before a race like the Giro? 
Well, really, I mean, like everything began already with the season planning, because first of all, you know, like especially with the leaders, you need to have a buy in from them into a project. So if they don't believe, forget about it, you will not win a grand tour if the riders don't believe in it. So it's a lot of groundwork and, uh, you know, the uh, mainly the direct relationships between the coaches and the riders and the um, dedicated DSs and the riders is is key to that. So, you know, I bring that up and up again to say, you know, like, okay, what is it like for, you know, for Giro versus Tour de France in the case, individual cases, like, for example, on, uh, you know, on Emo. So, okay, we have the Giro, less time trial kilometers. Tour has a, a big amount of, of time trial kilometers. Um, Tour has this super technical, tricky start with crosswind. Then we go on to cobbles. So Giro has a lot of climbing, which really, really, you know, suits uh, suits Emo. But then um, if there's no buy-in from the rider, then you can basically forget about it. Then you have to come up with another plan. So I think the key thing with there was like, we have it on our drawboard. So it's like, yeah, we want to take the Giro as like a test event. And then, you know, you get the buy-in from the rider. And, and I think on that, you know, like... Um, coaches talk to them on a daily basis so it is important to always repeat it to really like um, have this focus on this event and try to get there are there ups and downs of course you know big time remember like you know literally everyone was kind of like sick or not perfectly on track um, getting into the Giro so that also means like on the way there you have to make them believe that even if we have some setbacks um, you know, Wilco was crashes and uh, lately a crash in Liege. Jaya not even starting Liege, Bastogne Liege with, you know, high fever temperature. Um, Emo was dropping out of Pebas there, um, you know, being sick, had to delay his altitude camp and so on and so on. So this daily relationship is super, super important. So that's, uh, you know, um, on the on the human side, um, this trust in the plan, belief in, in, in your people and move from there. That's one side. And then, of course, on the technical side, this is really kind of like where it really becomes groundwork to say, well, who has time? Who can see what? Who is close to, you know, recon that stage? What events are we going to have close by? What hotel do we choose for uh, Milan, Milan Turin um, just to make sure that we can combine it with one or two days of recon? What are we going to do after Terreno Adriatico? Um, in sense of, you know, like uh, a blockhouse recon and so on. So, you know, Vilko stayed longer, Gasper coordinated it, then weather kicks in because that is, you know, the uncertain thing at the Giro Italia, that the big mountains are covered in snow till a few days, weeks before the Giro starts. So it has a lot of complications there and it needs some freestyle, but you should just not leave, uh, never let the basic plan uh, slip out of your hands and then be surprised when you're at the start line. Uh, Rolf, you just mentioned Liege, where Wilco was involved in the crash and Chai couldn't even start because he was uh, sick. On Monday after Liege, there was a conference call. Um, take, us, take us into this conference and into this situation. Um, and maybe you can tell us something about a plan B that was discussed there. Well, you, you kind of like, first of all, you really get, you know, because everybody's very emotional involved. It's not just, you know, run down numbers and, uh, and you do see the investment that people have done into the Giro Italia, you know, like how many, like Vilko went privately to altitude again and you know, took his family here and there. So, you know, coming back from his hand injury 
and you do see all this investment then you see like uh, it kind of looks like it slips through your fingers so you really feel like i mean you know nobody was uh, was close to commit suicide here but uh, there was a big level of of frustration and kind of like feeling sorry for the guys and and also kind of like you know looking back to say well what is you know what can we still get out of this what is realistic here because you have to adjust a little bit the expectation then or you know if needed you have to come up with a plan b so um you know first of all we needed to make sure is everybody capable of riding because you know then if we stick to the plan um of riding GC well if three out of three drop out it just makes no sense and you know we had a situation with three guys uh, with health issues and uh, so then it really becomes um, you know difficult and you also I mean you don't want to you don't want to run through it in the extreme because that means like you have no chance so if you run through it you know like just the practically to say just imagine Jai can't ride because he doesn't recover. Vilko can't ride because of his injury. And Emo can't ride because, you know, his illness put him too far back. Well, then you realize like, oh, maybe we shouldn't go. Um, and that is not really something you can consider, want to consider. So then you come down to say, well, if one is not riding, then, okay, we stick to the basic plan. If one can't make it, we stick to the basic plan. We probably need to ask poor Matteo Fabro, who really had a lot of health issues in the beginning to still come in and ride. And, uh, you know, so there's different scenarios there that even goes down to say, well, if, if two climbers can't ride, then do we think of, you know, two free spots uh, asking our sprinting department to come in and to commit and, you know, aim for stages. But um, there's a lot of, you know, theory behind it that what could happen if... But ultimately, then you also have to trust like kind of like your, your riders and their coaches and say, well, now it is a setback and we need to make sure that we, you know, get through the early stages and then we'll see what happens. And I think, um, the, I wouldn't say we got lucky, but the race structure was so that we say like, you know, the um, Etna stage was not full, full, full gas. And uh, I think nobody's seen us as a favorite, so they would not aim to drop us. And even on Blockhouse, uh, if you think back now with, with Jai, for a moment he was hanging on and Almeida was doing a massive job to kind of like keep that gap really, really little to Baday, Landa um, and, and Carapaz. So, you know, the first week, I think, you know, guys luckily had the time to write themselves into the, into the Giro. And it wasn't really like all or nothing right from the beginning. And uh, maybe we got a little bit lucky there. But yeah, the, you know, um, it was also really, really well deserved at the end. It seems like, uh, as you mentioned, Blockhouse uh, and Etna there, it seems like at one point we, our team had, had taken all of the mountaintop uh, stage wins so far in the Giro at one point. Um, were those two stages that you had specifically targeted with those guys? Or was this more opportunistic that, that came about on the day? Uh, you need to be a little bit lucky there. And, uh, well, you know, with, with Lenny, it was clear that Lenny would get his freedom to, you know, to do this kind of things. And then it's it's obvious that that stage would suit him well. You know, the first stage in Hungary, not really. And then the question is always like, okay, who's going to control the race now? You know, who has a jersey, who is leading, and are they capable of controlling the race? And then you figure out relatively quickly, no, uh, at Etna, that will not happen. 
um, you know, so the jersey will change. And that is a moment that you have to, um, you know, be open-minded and, and, and go for it. Um, but it's just very difficult to pre-plan that in, in October. You know, in October, you make the rough outline and you have an idea. And I think the first meeting with the riders, with the Giro riders, was um, at training camp. Um, and, uh, you know, already sitting on there. But even then, you cannot say like, okay, stage four is for Lenny, stage uh, nine is for Jai, stage whatever is for Vilko. It doesn't really work that way. So you have to be a little bit, um, you know, working on on the daily base. But the, the Edna one was pretty obvious that the jer jersey would change, that a breakaway will very likely make it, um, not with a huge uh, amount of time. Yeah, and the Blockhouse one was supposed to, first, to be the first GC test. So we already knew that we had to be up there. That's, that's also clear. In general, were you surprised by how the race developed and also what, what the other teams did? A little bit, you know, I mean, to my understanding, there was not one single time that they came to us and asked to contribute for chasing groups when there was a little bit of threat, you know, situations when whatever, um, you know, guys who would potentially be, uh, you know, a top five if they if they gain a lot of time. So I think they never really looked into it. And it's a little bit in their style of riding that they ride like, okay, we do our thing because we can control our thing and we don't rely on others. But of course, it, it played big time in our cards. That's for sure. Especially that it would not bother to have our guys in the breakaways. Because if you see how many times we were present in the front in the first group, and that was, you know, one of the really, really key things to have Lenny in, in, at stage 20 into the lead group there and then waiting and then, you know, doing this massive pull and cracking carapace. So that's a little bit, um, you know, well, good for us that we did get that freedom during this Giro. So with all the planning that, that you mentioned, you've obviously got confidence in the guys that we sent to the race. But when came the point for you personally when you thought like, okay, we definitely are in with a really big chance to win this? Yeah, winning is, you know, it, then it all came down to stage 20, that's for sure. You know, if Carapaz wouldn't crash, that wouldn't crash, wouldn't crack. Um, there then it would be completely open on Sunday so it was kind of like you know if you want to secure it then we have to try it on Saturday but it's just super hard to predict and then you know for Sunday of course you do and that is falls back then to the you know to the decision on Saturday on Sunday you do try to um, get a little bit of a picture it's like well if we go into that time trial with three seconds then what you know what is our bias And uh, statistics, um, you know, was was uh, kind of like against Jai in time trials. I think it's seven to two for Carapaz. So you're like, hmm, okay, so, you know, and then you try to figure out, so what, you know, what needs to happen here to have a fair shot. And uh, so, yeah, still, still, you know, stage 20, everything could have happened. Everything, you know, could have happened. But I also say and want to point it out, it's like now we won. And, you know, it was a massive effort from the team and from Jai. But I think if he would have finished podium, we should not be disappointed. We should be that humble to say, you know what, a podium and a grand tour, something that a team never achieved, would have been a great, you know, great result as well. And I would not, yeah, kind of like, you know, blaming the team, blaming Jai. 
um, for anything if we could not have pulled that around and, and, and win it this year. That's super great. That's super cool. But we have to, you know, realize how difficult it is and things can go the other way around as well. You know, like, um, you know, looking at now the podium, um, I have a lot of respect for Carapaz, how he was fighting, how he defended it and how he took his defeat because that shows that he still, you know, like also understands himself and the team does it, how hard it is to be, you know, second in the Giro d'Italia. So from that point of view, um, riding for the podium when that was then relatively, you know, when was that clear? You know, when when, when others really like Bade was out and, you know, um, others started to crack. And to me, that was already kind of like, okay, worst case scenario, if, if, if Jai doesn't crash, if Jai doesn't get sick, we will be at the podium. And for me personally, that already took a lot of pressure from our shoulders. The big showdown on stage 20. You already told us how you uh, followed the stage in, in the race car in Norway. Um, did you expect the stage to end like this? Well, I mean, like we had we had discussions before what to expect and what to not expect. And that, you know, climb has tradition. So Sylvester, especially, you know, was kind of like, pretty confident to say look you know you can lose three minutes on the last uh, you know one kilometer if you're really standing still and we will see so it wasn't really like you know predicted what would happen but the possibility was i think there especially uh, um, him kind of like you know like uh, let's wait and see so i'm you know more fan of a plan to say yeah, wait and see um, you know let's 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 have something in mind and then i think that judgment on on you know when to do what um you know from 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 gaspar to say well where do we need lenny when to you know when do we have him i'm waiting and what are we really aiming for here to have on jai because it makes no sense to um, you know to attack on podoy um just to be sure we gain seven seconds seven minutes on carapaz so we can change five times the bike in case of so you know it has to be something reasonable has to be something that we believe is doable And then you have to execute it. And that, yeah, later on, we always look like super clever. Um, that looked like it has been done to perfection then, you know, the, the timing. So this one minute 28 is a perfect timing because if you go at the bottom um, of, of the climb, you have a fair chance that you blow, you know, and then if you blow, you, you might even lose time. So it, it all felt in place and uh, that was very nice to see. Uh, But yeah, obviously it can also turn out to be different because after three weeks, it's just really difficult to, you know, to select this is exactly what will what will happen. Um, seeing Carapaz and what a fighter he is, I think it's really just not easy to crack him. Definitely. And so looking at what we've achieved, this is obviously a milestone for the team. But how would you personally rate this one i mean even in terms of generally in your career as a sports director as well how how do you see what we've achieved here i think that needs time to be to be honest um because because you know it's not uh, anything you you just do um it's very special and you know things need to fall in place and uh, and as i said at the beginning you know it's it's just this team effort it's not It's not uh, it's not Jai alone. It's not Gaspar or Jens as a sport director alone or GP. It's not uh, Jai's coach alone, Hendrik. It's his team effort that makes it so so special. And uh, and I do think it does take time to have it sinking in. Yeah, for me personally, 
Um, I was in, uh, like, I mean, I, I was at Chaux-Elysees twice with, with Bjarne Ries and Jan Ulrich winning the Tour de France as a teammate. And you will never forget that, you know, it will, it's a, it's a milestone in your life. But in team management, where you have on the other side much more influence and even more responsibility, um, I was never part of that. So the best was like, I was second in the Giro, um, as performance director with Quickstep with Rigiberto Uran. Um, but that was it then. So, you know, never a victory in Grand Tours. So it is special and, uh, and it will remain the first, you know, this one and then the one that came probably unexpected to a lot of people, you know, and we never really said like we want to win this Giro. Remember, we always said like we aim for the podium. So, you know, basically overachieving, um, is super, super nice. Um, but what it also means is, is for me personally, it's like, you know, we just can't think we're perfect. And this is, uh, you know, always a little bit the danger if you get over, overconfident of like, yeah, but we won the Giro. Yeah, but why would we keep on st uh, changing structures, add resources, come up with new ideas? We won the Giro, so, you know, we are the best. And this is, this is you know, in general, the danger. While saying that, I don't really see that huge risk at Bora Hans Grohe because, you know, we have really, really motivated people um, who, are, um, who are just open for new ideas and changes. But in principle, it is kind of like that. You have to be careful to say, hmm, what do we do now? Uh, first of all, we think we are the greatest on the planet. And second of all, we already achieved everything that we wanted to achieve in a you know, midterm timeline, which might be three years. So now... What do we do? Do we just pack up and say, yeah, that's it. We won a grand tour. Uh, that's what we, you know, what we said we, we tried to do. So we already achieved, you know, now it is for us important to confirm this, which is, you know, not easy to confirm it, you know, and, uh, and, and then there's still two grand tours out there that we didn't win. So there is still new goals, but we have to go back to the drawboard and come up with a specific plan for, you know, for what comes next. So, Rolf, you mentioned the, the other two Grand Tours. We haven't won yet. Um, let's take a look on the Tour de France and uh, on Chai's performance. Do you think he can become a future Tour de France contender? Well, um, I think he should try to become a Tour de France contender because it's not so relevant what I'm thinking about it or not. I think it, you know, it's, it's that we should give it a shot there, definitely. You know, not now. Uh, with a plan again, you know, to say, well, does that next Tour de France really suit him? Is that something that we we then have to work even more intense on climbing, on time trialing, on crosswind, on cobbles? So, um, but I do think you know there's some some logic in in every rider's um, you know career, and you start you know humble as a neo pro, and you have goals, and once you achieve those goals, you set the next goals. And, uh, and therefore, I think it's just really, really logic for Jai to, you know, have that in his mind and to try because he's a very competitive young athlete that, you know, wants to test his limits everywhere where you go, you want to test your limit. And therefore, I really think, um, yes, of course, that, you know, should be should be in his head and it should be should be somehow, um, you know, planned then in a, in a very structured way. So now we are absolutely looking forward to the Tour de France. This, this year without Chai, but uh, hopefully in the future we will see him there. Yeah, that would be that would be the idea. And I think what I've seen now in his interviews and stuff, 
it also already crossed his mind and of course he has his country you know countryman um cat elevens who won the tour as an aussie and i do think he has seen that impact that it does back home then so for sure he you know he will still want to give it a shot and uh, and then see how far he gets Excellent. I think there's there's not a single person in Australia who wouldn't want to see that happen. They're going absolutely insane at the moment with him winning the Giro. So it can only imagine what would happen if he would win the Tour. Yeah, but you also have to say Jai is really a cool guy. I mean, you know, if I mean like his interviews and everything, you know, he's not just that super robot-like uh, uh, performer. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a very interesting personality. If you see, you know, like what he was willing to invest in his sport, coming as a, let's say, young kid, you know, to Italy without speaking that language. And uh, so, you know, his history is just very, very interesting. And I do think he has a lot of potential to really, you know, attract people to the sport. And, uh, and I think that's also important for him. Definitely. Okay, so that wraps up our... Uh fourth Giro edition of the Band of Brothers podcast. So Rolf, it was really excellent and interesting as always to to have you as a guest. So thanks very much. Thank you. And Andal, thanks once again. Yeah. Thank you, Rolf. And uh, see you on Friday for Criterium di Dauphine. And last but not least, thanks to you guys, our listeners, for tuning in yet again. We hope to see you again next time. <laughs>